In this episode of Man vs. Marriage, it's family dinner. I'll explain on the other side. D don't trip. I'll explain. The podcast. How good do you want your life to be? It's truly about becoming the best version of yourself that's possible. Man versus Marriage. Welcome back to another episode of Man versus Marriage. It is I, the Q Dog, in the Moran family studio with my lovely wife, Jeannie Moran. Hi, baby. Hey, baby. And we are here to talk to you today about family dinner. There's going to be a little bit more to this than meets the eye, unless you're fairly astute and you've already figured it out. In which case, listen anyway and then share the information during family dinner. Before we get started, make sure that you use those email addresses that we have provided for you at no charge. Jeannie, J-E-A-N-N-E, -N -N -E, at mvsmpodcast.com, and Quincy, Q-U-I-N-C-Y, at mvsmpodcast.com. Now, let's get into this. Okay, I truly believe I put my word on, I stand behind the idea that you as a father should be gathering your family around the dinner table. And I know it might seem old fashioned, may seem like an old fogey, that it's outdated. There are so many distractions in this day and time. And the more I go on with these kinds of excuses on why you shouldn't do it it actually further pushes the point of why you should and I will talk to you in this episode about why I feel like it's extremely important and we'll give you our routine when it comes to you know dinners at night uh, if you're in the south you say supper um, and why we do what we do it's it's pretty calculated and then I'm gonna ask Jeannie some questions just so she's aware of it um what do we see when we get off track and we don't get our family dinners around the table? So just keep that in mind because I'm going to ask you in a little while. Um, I'm, I'm just going to start by, I've already started, but I'm going to say this, that it is imperative that you as a parental group, now let's say you are one of the uh, single parents that listens to this podcast and you're a woman. Well, I believe it's incumbent upon you as well, because you are really carrying uh, an extremely heavy burden when it comes to being both parents, if you are a single parent. How do I know that? Because effectively, I was raised by single parents, because some of that time I lived with my mom, some of the time I lived with my dad. And so there is a, you know, there is a lot of love that needs to go your way, however you ended up there. You have my love and my respect because you are doing the deal. And it's not too late to create some new habits that will uh, bring you closer to your family. Make your family feel as if they're more connected to you and that they have a voice around, uh, around these particular relationships. And you really have a limited amount of time. So, you know, it. it uh, I think, what do you think? It started back... Um, in the other house, like our old house, when we had the water damage? Uh, yeah. When we, we finally had a tabletop that was big enough to seat everybody. So it's been about five, almost six years, I think, that we've yeah. been doing this pretty consistent. I mean, we always had dinner together, but not like this. Yeah, I, and I think it was kind of birthed out of that place. We we had water damage in our house, so what that meant, and this is when I was going through a really difficult uh, medical event in my life and so we had to move out of the house for a couple months and uh live in two adjacent hotel rooms which kind of forced us to get to be closer together as a family and really not just in proximity it it actually really turned helped us as a family turn the corner and brought us closer together somehow emotionally like mentally and emotionally, relationship-wise. We have, okay, so 
when we moved into the hotels, A, we were literally living in less than half of our house. Yeah. And then we were 10 people squashed in this little bitty thing. And you were going through a lot of stuff medically, plus working, plus trying to manage the stuff going on with the house because I was trying to manage the kids. And at the time we were charter school, so we were half home, half gone. Yep. And then Hunter and Kirsten were in their school. And I think what ended up happening is a lot of the people that we normally relied on or hung out with or did things with, that all kind of vanished for a while because we were stuck, which it happens. There there are seasons in your life when you go through things and, you know, friends are, some friends are just seasonal and that's, that's okay. But we had nobody to really pull on but us. Mm-hmm. You know, our church family did what they could at the time, but even that was limited. You know, there really wasn't a whole lot anybody could do. There was no space to put anybody to come help or do anything for us. Yeah. And um, we were all scared because you were sick and we didn't have any answers. And we had, you know, a nurse coming in to do your IV bags and these different things you had going on. And I think everybody in our our little world just decided we're all we have. Mm-hmm. And we just clung to each other. I think the girls grew a lot closer because even after we moved out of the hotel, they were still coming in our bedroom every night and laying on the bed and watching TV with us because you weren't yet able to go and lay down on the couch or, you know, you had to be in your recliner for a while. So they just gravitated to where the recliner was and made themselves at home and we never kicked them out. It was just, I don't know, we just kind of grew together in that moment and we started realizing, I think the kids finally started realizing we're it. No matter what else goes on in life or how life changes, our family is it. This is where you can go and latch on and, and be comfortable and be yourself. And if you fall apart, you fall apart and we're there to pick up the pieces. If you, um, you know, pitch in and, and want to help out, that's that's just all the more for the rest of us. You know, they just kind of changed, I think, their heart in the moment. But that's where we had a lot of our, our um, that's where the conversation started opening up. Because yeah. the kids were finally, they were getting scared. They were worried about the house. They were worried about you. They were going through school and trying to navigate through turning into teenagers and young women while we were going, you know, we weren't even home for those things to happen. So they were off kilter and out of sorts, as were you and I. And that just, I think for some reason, it just opened the floor for them to start talking to us about everything. Yeah. And in that, you know, in that time where we moved back into the other house. There was, I guess there was a night and we had invited Derek over. It was like our first official, you know, his family first, night, his first dinner yeah. at our house. And we invited him for our first family dinner night. And, uh, we all did this around the house. We bought, we, we had enough stools, I believe because of the bar was a little higher. It's about an eight foot, like an eight foot long, uh, bar that we had built. Um, eight by five. And it, you know, granite countertop, and it was enough for all of us in a plus one or two to get around. And so we had there our time around the counter, and and it was just a very, very lively, energetic conversation um, that went on. And there's conversations going in every direction. And before you knew it, because I think before then we, because of our circumstances and not always having, we did a lot of table stuff, and we had you know just a few kids. Yeah. Um, and then we outgrew the tables and we got in the in the bad habit of sitting around the couch watching TV. Half and on eating. the couch and half on the floor. <laughs> and uh, that became our normal. And the the time, the relationships, the intimacy within our family dynamic just weren't the same. And it was really interesting because we'd be getting ready to go and, uh, you know, sit down in the living room. It's like, can we eat around the table? Can we eat around the table? And it was like it became something big. Yeah. And what I had decided to do, because whatever I do, and I'm, I know it gets annoying, whatever I do, I try to ensure that there is a lesson or a reason behind it. Whether I'm challenging the kids or setting up their chore list or, you know, having a chore checker, you know, um, learn how to lead, learn how to be responsible, et cetera. And 
so what we would do is center everybody would get their chance to talk about how their day went. And some people would have a lot to say and you would just have to sit through it. Uh, some people wouldn't have much to say, but people would sit there. Kid, the girls would sit there and just get extremely, extremely excited about telling us about their day. And it kind of evolved the, the older that uh, the kids got. Um, and then we ended up moving into another house because we needed more room. So we got into a house that had more room, but a lot less kitchen mm-hmm. and a lot less space for us. So it became more and more of a challenge. But the kids really wanted family dinner. And so the way we broke it down, the way I broke it down is, you know, Monday night, really it starts with Sunday night. We sit together as a group. We, we love watching movies and TV shows, and we'll do that. Um, so that's Sunday night. It's a family day, family night. And then Monday night, uh, sometimes we'll do the same. Now, we don't always sit with the TV on. Sometimes we'll just sit around in a, in a less formal fashion, if you will, if there is such a thing as formal in the Moran household. Mm-hmm. Um, Only on holidays. And uh, sometimes we'll just sit with the TV off. Tuesday night is date night. So kids... Non-negotiable. Uh, <laughs> kids run wild and free. Kids fend for themselves. Wednesday night is the night that I, we've commanded it to be family dinner night and dad's monologue night. And we have gotten off, uh, off track with that a few times because work was just so crazy. Thursday night is generally, uh, like a family dinner night around the table, but no need for a monologue unless there's something of great importance that I want the kids to, to see. Um, whether it's a TV show of some sort or something like that that's going on. And then Friday night is usually a family night. Um, and then Saturday night, you know, just depending on what season it is, it's sports. And there are some things that we kind of renegotiate due to sports. sports <laughs> because we're a sports family. There's at least Kings game on, we're not eating at the table. If there's an Alabama game, we are not, not eating, eating at, at the table. table. <laughs> so those are the things we do. But what is the importance of that? However you structure that, you have a captivated audience. And we're real, we're pretty strict. I mean, not the strictest people, but we're pretty strict when it comes to electronics. Um, it's an earned privilege in our home. Not all of our kids have a phone with phone service and, you know, data and Wi-Fi, et cetera. So we keep that, um, we keep that pretty limited, and it's something you have to earn. We do give them a, um, a free day as long as they're not on the punishment for bad grades or you know crossing the line. And we do. We have kids that are t- from 20 years old down to 14 years old. But for us, it's a it's a good lesson for them to understand that these things are privileges. They're not a right in this home that's not what you have to have and i think in a way it's been a safety net for us because we've talked to other families and it's just the stuff they they get on their instagram or the stuff that they see on their facebook the different things that they they advertise just looking at the school site on a facebook page some of the stuff i mean they're videotaping fights they're videotaping all these different things that are going on and they're blowing it up on on the social media and it's like our kids have no clue half the crap that's going on around them. And as much as I've heard people say, well, you know, it's it's not that bad. But it is because what they're seeing influences who they're becoming. And you and I are safeguarding that in a way because it's kind of like the movies and the different things that they watch. We don't, we're not really strict as much anymore because they're a little older. But when they were younger, it was, if there was more than three F words in it, the kids didn't watch it. You know, if there was anything even remotely inappropriate, we didn't let them watch it until they got to a certain age. And then we started having conversations where we explained things a little more and made sure that they got our belief structure on what this is and whether or not it's okay. But the social media thing, although we do have kids who are not happy about it because they're coming up on, you know, 18 years old and they want to have their own life and their own freedom even letting them have just a little bit and them going to YouTube on their own and finding things. They're like, did you know this is on there? Did you know this disgusting thing is on here? It's like, yeah, that's that's why we didn't give you free access. Yeah, and it's it's one of my one of my pieces as a 
as a parent and how we kind of run our household is we're going to really, really do our best uh, to build our kids in such a way where they have resiliency, they have thick skin, and, you know, they understand as best as you can at an adolescent, you know, teenage, young adult age, um, who they are and not have to rely on the lies of social media in order to, you know, um, you don't, don't want to say where they say you are. I don't, I don't, I'm, I, it's not vindicate, uh, but validate. That's what, you know, it's, it, it's not the number of likes that you get. I don't even run man versus marriage that way. I don't, do my best to I'm not great at marketing because I don't take the time to do a lot of marketing I do a lot of word of mouth but I don't run the success of this show on how many likes I get on Instagram or Facebook because I believe they're I believe that's a major hoax yeah and it does more damage than good so as we sit around the table we have discussions um about what goes on within our society today. And I really, I don't want to tell my kids what to think. I'm trying to help them create a framework whereby they can think freely and not just believe things like, oh, it's on the internet, so it must be true, or the teacher said this, so it has to be true, or these kids were saying these types of things because we will really get into deep discussions about what those things look like. We'll even talk politics. At times, we'll talk religion. We do all these things around the table, and sometimes it's just free talk. We're having all sorts of conversations, and it's loud, and it's a circus, and th those are times where kids across the table and parents across the table are really strengthening the bonds of their relationship. They're feeling like there is a voice. They have a voice. I'm it's not one of those things where if if there is like free, you know, free time or Wi Fi or whatever, that they would have their phone or their iPod or whatever it is. And Jeannie and I do our best to keep our phone put away. If there's a work emergency, I have the alerts on. But other than that, we're taking time intentionally around the table a few nights a week um, in order to really maximize this captive audience we have and hopefully help them learn how to build relationships um, through fellowship, through civil discourse, uh, through debate, through ideas, through you know, the ideals that, well, this is what I believe. Okay, why do you believe that? And how about we talk through it? When it, uh, we've even had discussions like over here in America in the Constitution, for those of you that live around the world, you know, one of the, one of the, a couple of the most important things we see in the United States um, is our first and our second amendment. Now, there's value in each of those amendments, but one of the things that America was built on was that ability to have free speech. So, you know, uh, a few nights ago, I went around the table asking each of the kids, even asking Jeannie, what, why is maintaining free speech so important for our country? And we were able to have an open dialogue about that. We were able to discuss those things. Uh, we've talked about Harry Styles being in a dress. We've talked about, um, at times, sex and relationships and dating. Say, I mean, what what are all the things we discuss? I think um, one of the biggest benefits has been that they open up conversations sometimes. So, you know, getting used to this format of sitting around the table and us bringing up things that maybe they're hearing about at school or maybe they're not or bringing up topics of dating you know as the kids get older that might be one of the the dinner conversations which we've had them before of you can date at this age these are the requirements you know it, it's grades chores attitude and we have to meet him he has to come here first those were the main rules and there's a little bit of a debate going on a lot of the conversations we've had stem around things that maybe they've heard somebody say and they want to know what the truth of it is um 
I don't hold anything back. So when the kids come home and they say, you know, I heard somebody talking about a hand job and, you know, and they're teenagers. Some of them are okay with asking questions. Some of them are still squeamish about asking questions, but that's an open topic at the table. If they need to know what's going on or what somebody's saying, we feel it's our place to make sure that they know so that someone doesn't trick them later or make them feel uncomfortable about something later. You know, I we've never sugarcoated any of those things. No. We've had conversations about, um, oh, Gracie's had some teachers who are very um, opinionated in both politics and religion, and they will do a project, and she has to answer these questions, but the teacher is slighted, and, and you can tell the teacher is slighted. As just in the information that she was given for the report, she wasn't given both sides of the report. She was only given one. And she came home and was like, I, I don't agree with the information that's being presented because I know that there's more to this. But the teacher requires the assignment on just the information given. And so we had to have a conversation where you're going to have to write what the teacher's asking you to write, even if it's not what you believe. Because if you don't, you're going to lose your grade. Now, you can stand up and you can say what you want to say. If that's the route you want to go, Dad and I aren't going to ping you for it. I, a matter How, of fact, I've told her that I would support her. However, in those however, Gracie is a 4.0 student and has worked really, really hard to get that 4.0 and drug herself through the mud literally to get it. So she had to weigh her options, and she didn't know what she wanted to do. She ultimately made the choice to follow the teacher's lead, but she did have a conversation with the teacher later and said, I wrote the paper, but that's not really my opinion. That's fair. But she needed to know that we supported her on whichever way she was going to go because I don't think that it's right they have to be boxed into one person's opinion. Yeah. Just because they're being taught that in school doesn't necessarily mean that it's accurate for everybody. Well, I've and I've offered for even for our kids to say, look, if you want to press the issue, I'll be happy to talk to the teacher with you because you're not... I'm not going to stand for a situation. I don't know where your political leanings are, listener, but I'm not going to stand for a situation where my child is being told that, uh, you know, communism and things of that nature are are the right thing or the way of the future for this country. I'm just not going to stand for it. And I'll be happy to give that teacher an opportunity to help me understand why you're an English teacher and... Uh, you're pressing these particular ideals, and it's not teaching things about English. Maybe if it's like a history class. They were using it, but what they're doing is they're using it as a, a topic to write a debate essay, which I understand. I, from a writing perspective, I understand what they're trying to teach. My issue isn't that they're using political issues. My, my problem is if you're going to use a political issue, or like the last one she just did was... Um, they had to debate the difference between two different um, religious entities because they were studying something in history. I understand that. Catholicism, Christianity, all these things, they're all part of our history. Yeah. I understand that. But the way that it was presented and the argument that she had to make, she felt like she couldn't make a choice because she didn't want to tell anybody that you're wrong for your religious choice. Your choice is your choice. She didn't want to debate why her religious beliefs are better than anyone else's because she doesn't feel that she needs to press anyone with that. And yet that's kind of how the lesson seemed from how she explained it to me. That's how it came across to her was you had to pick a side and then you had to tell why. And Gracie didn't feel that that was appropriate. And so Gracie brought up in the classroom, but you have freedom of religion, so I can't really tell you why yours is right or wrong. I'm just supposed to accept it, and you're supposed to accept mine, and we're supposed to get along anyway. Which, I have no problem with that answer. Sure. If that's how she sees it, and that's how she believes, I'm happy for her to believe that way. But putting it down in a paper, and that's supposed to be a right or wrong, that's difficult for her. Well, to clarify what I'm saying is I don't – it doesn't matter to me if you're writing things for the purpose of debate. And maybe you're on the side of the pro, but you have to write the side of the con. 
and you are going to be devil's advocate or you're going to fight for that other side or argue your point. My point is it the paper written should be graded based upon its merit, yeah. not based upon the teacher's ideology. Um, the It should be open for the kids to debate and for them not to have to write according to what the teacher believes yeah. in order to get the appropriate grade. That that's where I stand. So so what? Hey, if it's if you have to do the con um, on something that you believe is a pro, it should just reiterate to you or strengthen your argument why it's a pro because you're going to go and find the counter arguments, and I think that's important. I think those if it is a debate, I think it's important to be able to debate those things openly. But then if the teacher doesn't agree with where you stand that affects your grade i think that is very very troubling and that's why <clears throat> that's why i'm i had said i would be i would be happy to speak to your teacher yeah. with you or one-on-one -on -one to find out what is the grade based on because if it's civil discourse if they are allowing that and it's a debate that's good you need to thicken your yeah. skin you need to know why you believe what you believe. I'm totally cool with that. But if the teacher's ideology slants your grade, that's absurd, and yeah. it should not be allowed. But those are the kind of conversations that we have. We talk, we discuss the, the topics that are coming up in school or in politics. Um, we've discussed everything from, you know, we're talking about moving and where's everybody's mindset in this. We're talking about college and moving on from high school and you know, what, what are your concerns? Have you thought about college? Do you want to take time off? Do you want to work? The younger ones who are, are watching the older ones and trying to make their own decisions and what they want to do. We've discussed sports. We've kind of opened the forum for anything when it comes to family dinners. And I think if we hadn't done it that way in the beginning, where we just kind of had a free-for-all and let everybody just talk about their day. And, you know, we, we used to play games on, we'd pick one person and say, okay, Everybody needs to, to figure out what that person's favorite color is or what's their favorite yeah. movie. You know, we made games out of it all the time. I think that allowed them to drop their guard and feel more comfortable with coming to us for a conversation. And it allows them to feel like their opinion matters. Because yeah. if no one else, that that's the one thing I have noticed with our kids over the last year or so is they all feel like no one listens. They just don't have a voice but they feel like they have a voice with us or they wouldn't be talking to us. Yeah, and I and that's yeah, I'm glad you brought that part up because I have a few pointers here on how to get this started. Now, you may maybe you have family dinner around the table every single night. Well, kudos to you. Um this is really meant to just present to you some value in mixing it up, but making sure that there is some sort of constant there that you can build an expectation with your with your kids. Now, we some of the things that the kids have loved, absolutely loved in the past, is Jeannie and I telling stories of how we met. Yeah. There's something great about telling stories about how you how you and your wife met. There's something great about telling some of the funnest stories about the kids when they were small and what they were doing because then they start telling stories and and everybody gets involved and yeah. it's a lot of fun. And, and the they funny laugh thing a is lot. <laughs> Yeah. The funny thing is is that they start telling stories from their perspective and what they thought and what happened with them. Yeah. And then we as parents get to learn a little bit more about them. And sometimes they tell us stuff like, you know, how they used to sneak food or snacks or you know yeah otter all, pops all those little secrets which is pretty funny now um we tell stories about favorite family members you know mm -hmm. and maybe times when they were babysitting or things or we were growing up and they were kids grandma and, getting pooped on by hunter that is yeah the, one of the greatest stories ever yeah <laughs> and they, they all know it, it. <laughs> um and then there are times where i i would say we always have an agenda and the agenda is, if there's no plan, the ag agenda is just to spend quality time with each other. Um, 
but sometimes when the, when Jeannie has concerns because she's home with the kids more than I am, and there she has the heartbeat on what's going on, and they will talk to her about a lot of things. I will open up and talk about these particular subjects, and then ask the kids about how they feel. Yeah, we it's kind of how we do our journey check in with you and me. We we do the same thing with the kids often. You know, especially when we notice like a change in schedule or change in routine over time, you'll start seeing patterns in their behaviors. And it's like, hey, I'm, I'm noticing that this one is, you know, not on their game with their school. They're, it's, something seems off. They're not quite being honest about things. Or, you know, you'll find one that just suddenly starts going into their room all the time. And it's not a normal pattern, but we've seen it before. So, um that that just leaves the door open for him to come in and say, okay, family talk. Or one maybe one of them got busted for something and got grounded. And now it's a, okay, we're going to have a family discussion because we need to make a lesson out of this for the rest of you Correct. to not do this or this is the ultimate consequence. And it's not to put the person on the spot or to make them feel crappy about what they did. It's just simply you're older and you're an example, and this is how I need you to understand you're an example because yeah. these other people are watching you. And if you're trying to get away with something and they see that you're trying to get away with something, they need to see what the consequence is if they get caught or if they do this. So it's, it works out for me. Plus, there's times when um, you know we have to have discussions because maybe the food bill has gone way over this month and I'm noticing people are snagging stuff and hiding it in their room or... You know, it, it's, we are very budgeted when it comes to our food or when it comes to doing things. And the kids will say, well, we want to have a party. Okay, cool. We'll have a party. But if you're screwing with the food budget, there's no party. There's no room for that party in the budget now. And we have to have those life lessons to teach them when you're an adult and you think I'm going to do this with my money, but you've already blown through it. There's nothing left to do what it is that you've been trying to earn. You know, the, I, Quincy takes that really, really seriously because they don't. There's a couple of them that think, you know, when I'm 18, I'm just going to get a credit card and I'll be good. It's like, well, good luck with that. Getting a credit card at 18 with absolutely no credit and no job. And then what are you going to do to pay it off? Or I'm going to get a cell phone and they think they're just going to walk in and buy a cell phone and everything's gonna be hunky-dory it's like y'all don't realize there's a credit check involved you know these are things that, it's basic knowledge but it's life lessons that they need to know and it's and the things we're talking about are things that we've actually had discussions about throughout the last five six years oh and, my goodness yes and it's really now sometimes um these discussions carry because we'll go from the table and then we'll go sit and we'll talk in the living room and we'll kind of further the discussion. And there are times where um, we'll just have family dinner and then I will pull the kids aside um, and I will monologue independently just about a particular topic. Um, and we, you know, everything from faith to worldview to health to politics, we talk about everything and there are many nights i could say that you know we're going to watch something together and the kids will just suggest can we just turn the tv off and can we just all talk yeah that that's the cool part and that that to me is a major win as much as we love to watch movies and tv yeah. series for them to want to it's not some look if can you we play a game yeah <laughs> which we need to do more yeah. of we need to play more games um if this is not something you do, first of all, I'm not here to condemn the way that you and your wife are running your home. I'm simply here to offer this as a strong suggestion in order to gain some emotional currency, if you will, and some intimacy and relationship with your family. You have a captivated audience. You have a limited amount of time before your kids move up and, and, and move on. And I was actually talking about this um, with John the other day. And he's like, you know, back when I was young, we had the old timers in our life that would talk about these stories. Obviously, there's plenty of embellishment, but they would talk about, 
the stories of family and about these times and those times and about the times that are coming ahead. And he learned a tremendous amount by hearing those things. And it, it made sense to me. And then I look at what we do and we, those are things we do as a family. Yeah. And there's a need for that, you know, for men being men to have that time and to learn and have a platform to speak with men. Well, I've noticed, I've noticed a lot, especially now that we have the girls graduating and all the stuff that we've dealt with with Hannah, a lot of times I think parents just look to the school to teach your kids life. You're going to educate them and then they're going to graduate and then they're going to go on to life because they've learned all these things in school. But they're not teaching basic life skills in school. I mean, our girls, it's, it's not just about learning how to get a job. When I told the girls the other day, I was like, yeah, my first job, my minimum wage was four twenty-five an hour. You should have seen the looks that they gave me because, well, Hannah's minimum wage is 15. Well, yeah, that was 24, 25 years ago. Yeah. So, yeah, quite a big difference. But back then, the, the money I was making, I could have rented an apartment by myself. I couldn't do that now. No. You know, yeah. trying to get them to understand simple basics of, you know, they come in and they want to, Ash wants to do this elaborate recipe because she's having someone over for dinner. All well and good. Okay. But you have to break everything down for your, what your recipe is. And then you have to look it up and break down the cost. That floored her because this is not something they were taught. Well, they're, they're basics, but then you start getting into like their college and Hannah's idea of what college was going to be is based off of television. Yeah. Well, she's, she has another layer of difficulty within. She does, but she's not the only one because if you think about it, Gracie's biggest complaint about that college, the very first thing she said was, it is really big. There's a lot of walking and everything is just really spread out. Well, and, and here's, here's the thing. If we're, we're doing a lot of ranting about school, if you're a teacher, Not, make I'm, no, make no mistake. If you're a teacher, I have a lot of love and respect for you because my, I admired my teachers as I was growing up. I know, especially in the times when, in which we live, it is not an easy vocation, but life skills, in my opinion, should mainly be taught at home. Exactly. That's what I was getting at. Okay. Educa Parents think the schools should do it, and that's not the case. Education, as far as reading, writing, and arithmetic, that should be handled at school. Now, there are some enhancements that can go along with it, some of which I believe have gone away at school, which one of them was home ec. Yeah. That, that one was a place where I was in home ec. Why? Yeah, I had, a, I had to fill a period, and there were lots of pretty girls in home ec. So I wanted to be in home ec. But there were things that I learned. They taught us all kinds of odd, you know, You could put a button on a shirt by yourself. They taught you those things. But then also, additionally, there were vocational um, subjects yeah. in school that you could go and do. And you could learn uh, a vocation, whether it was shop or welding or auto body and things of that nature. I don't know if those things are still going on. A lot in of hands In different on. states they are, but out here it is slim. But with that being said, the educators, you know, they there are other avenues at school that help you learn about life and people. Those things being drama, sports, um, some of the some of the debate club, chess club. Those things are there. I think there's a lot of value in those. But as far as life skills and you know the framework from teaching people how to think very deeply or think not what to yeah not what to think but I, I can't think of the word even though I'm saying think it's be be a constructive thinker don't believe everything utilize a fair amount of skepticism and then go find out what the truth is on your own those things are handled at the table mm -hmm. and then they carry over into those family discussions and there is just a tremendous amount of value 
in gathering your family around the table to have these types of discussions. And you can use whatever format you want. To break the ice, you sit everybody around the table. I strongly encourage you, if your kids have devices, to black it out so that you get a captive audience. Now, what's that going to mean? That means you're probably going to have some pissed off kids around the table because you're changing their habits. Think about when you change your habits. You don't like it. We take the path of least resistance. But over the course of time, you'll find that if you start telling these stories about how you and your wife met, about the day you got married, about having them as kids and them growing up and the things that you really loved or adored about them as kids and them interacting as kids and some of your favorite family members, then you start asking open-ended questions around the things and the times that you're living in and what their thoughts are. And, you know, if you're over here in America, do you know about anything about the Constitution? Do you know what the Declaration of Independence meant? Those things that were extremely important. You know, I asked the kids, what what was one of the most important uh, amendments, you know, that, that our founding fathers put in place or that was added to or it, when it was ratified. Just some of those basic questions. What would be the effect if your right to freedom of speech was taken from you? Yeah. <laughs> that was those, a big one. Those things. And then you also look at the game that Jeannie brought up, which I really appreciate her doing that, which is, you know, your top 10 things. And you'll find out how much you do or you don't know about the, the people in your family. And it's a way of, you know, getting to know one another. Now, there were times where I would sit the kids in a circle, put somebody in the middle, and we were building up their confidence. We were building up the things that we loved about them. So we would sit in a circle and just start saying, well, what do you like about? What do you like about? And we would just start doing that. But then there's also times where you know, we take them to task. So we teach them about being more kind and loving towards each other, but we also teach them how to thicken their skin so that they don't become fragile within this society that we're living in. Because there's a lot of fragile messaging going on, and we think it's more important to teach people how to thicken their skin, but also show them the ability and the benefit of being kind and loving to other human beings. And these types of things happen around the table. Now look, if you if you have a different technique or maybe some nights you're around the table, some and some nights, you know, when it's really good and the wind's not blowing like crazy, we go out and we sit around the the, the fire pit. The fire That's pit. my favorite. That's one of the greatest ones. And then, you know, in the summertime, we'll have dinner around the table outside on the patio. Yep. And that's always that. That's always fun. Um, not everybody though can take our family's uh, family dinner, but no. We- but you know what? No matter whether you're a big family like ours or a little family with one kid, it right. doesn't matter. the The point is the connections that we make, the conversations that we have, the doors that we open. Yep. We've basically created a soft place to land by having dinner and conversation around a table. That's a very fair point. That's what we've done because some of our most crazy, most difficult conversations, and they're things that the kids bring to us that we don't even realize they're going through, will spill out over the table. And sometimes it's not even intentional. It might be that we're having a conversation about something else, and one of the kids will say, well, you know what? I think this. And it keys us into, okay, there's... There's something something here that needs to be handled. And it doesn't necessarily mean that it happens at the table, but it came out that way because that's where they were comfortable to express themselves. My, My point wasn't to rant on the schools. My point was, I think a lot of people when, when we made the, uh, the agreement that when we had kids, I would stay home and take care of the kids. There was a lot of backlash at that time about women staying home and taking care of the kids instead of being in the workplace and making money and being equal with their spouse. Okay. I took heat for wanting to stay home. I didn't care. You and I had an agreement. I'm going to raise our kids. This is what I want to do. This is what I believe my purpose is. Screw everybody else. Now, looking at the things that we're teaching them now, a lot of people back then when I decided to be an at-home mom believed that you should pay a daycare to take care of your kids or leave. And I have nothing against these things. Understand that. I have nothing against those things. 
but it's not meant for everybody. It also doesn't mean that you send your kid away to a preschool or to a daycare and you expect that person to instill in your child what's right or wrong. That's your job. Right. That person is there to enforce that and to care for the child. The teaching part is our job. Mm -hmm. The school is meant to teach them reading, writing, math, and logical thinking. Great. But I do not trust, nor do I expect, the teachers to... Now, some do, and I appreciate those who actually put the, the investment into our kids, but it's not their job to raise functional, polite, well-respectful, you know, free-thinking adults. That's our job. Correct. Our place in their life is to make sure that when we're not here, they will be able to care for themselves and whomever else they bring into this world. Yeah. That is not the school's responsibility. That is our responsibility. And for us, that became a priority. And over the last year, I think it's been more and more evident. Um, having Anissa's chief call me. And he called me for something that happened on a trip. But when he got to talking to me, he says, I need to tell you, you and your husband are an inspiration. He says, your, your whole family to me is a huge inspiration. He says, I don't know how you do it with the special needs kids and everything that you're doing. But I need you to know how special your daughter is, how hard of a worker she is. She's one of the most ethical people I've ever met in my life, and she's only 14. He says her, her work ethic, the way she treats other people. Um, one of the upperclassmen struggled with something and was going to fail their test. And our daughter was standing on the sideline and started saying, you can do this, think really hard, and just started kind of encouraging her in her own way. Yeah. And when the girls, the girls still didn't make it, but when she didn't make it, Anissa stood up in the middle of everybody and clapped for her and got the whole room to clap for her because she worked her ass off and she tried. Mm -hmm. And when all the, everything was said and done, she and Anissa hugged it out or whatever, and the chief was telling me how that's the kind of kids he wants to see more of. He says, you can tell that you've put the effort into teaching her how to be this way because that's what we do for her. That's a parent's job. What yeah. we do carries over into their life and into our grandchildren's life and so on and so forth. You want to be family famous? You want to be like the grandpa that we had? That's what we're trying to build with simple things like dinner around the table, open conversation, sitting around the couch and shooting the crap, going outside by the fire pit and playing jokes. And I mean, we roast each other literally outside by the fire. We, we go back and forth picking on each other. So that when someone else does it, it doesn't hurt. You know, they have a comeback for it. Not because they want to be a smart ass, but because it just doesn't hurt anymore. We, be, we do things so that life doesn't kick them when they're down. It doesn't hurt them any more than it has to. Yeah. And, you know, the goal, that doesn't mean it always works because it doesn't <laughs> no. always work for us. We have us. some that it doesn't, <clears throat> but it's a try. But we're working hard to help them create a sense of value for whose words have the ability to affect them, yeah, build them or burn them. Five and fifty. And it's like it's one of those things where, uh, sorry about that, honey. It's one of those things where it's like you've heard the the terminology. Consider the source. If somebody's coming down on you, if somebody is talking smack against you, if somebody is pointing out a deficiency in you, is it somebody who you would allow to speak into your life because you know, love, and trust that person? If not, even if there's a little bit of truth to what they're saying, then bring it back and let's talk about it. Because, mm -hmm. you know, true trust, true relationship, there is some sort of accountability that goes along with that. But be careful who you allow to speak into your life to build you up or burn you down. Mm -hmm. And it's not a situation where we're intentionally going to burn our kids down, but we do feel it's imperative that we teach them there's a value in being fragile, but it's for those things that um, are of great value within your life. Vulnerability is kept for those that actually deserve it. That's Correct. That's kind of where we teach them is it's okay to be vulnerable, but you have to trust where and who you're being vulnerable with. Right. Because you can't. You can't pour your heart out to just anybody because there are a lot of people in this world that will stomp on it. And then I, I don't want them going through that. I mean, it's going to happen at some point, yeah. I'm sure. But 
teaching them that not everybody is worthy of everything you have to offer. I mean, we've used the example before um, when when kids were getting frustrated with what people had to say or how, what they thought other people thought of them. And, um, you know, you had some stuff going on a while back, and it was like, I hate that these people's opinions bother me. Yeah. And what came out of that conversation was, but that's not how I, your wife, see you. Right. And I know you better than any of these people. Correct. And it's not a bias when I can prove point by point. What about when you said this? What about when you did this? What about when you were this person? What about when this happened? That's the value that we hold in teaching them who can and can't say something. Because when the kids come home and they're beat down and they're getting into a mood and um, we used to do this with Ashlyn when she was younger. She would come home and just be a wreck because of crap that was going on in school. And she would start digging and give an attitude. And the famous line around this house is, hey, that's not who you are. So why don't you tell me what happened so we can get back to being who you are? Because this that you brought home, this is not my kid. And it it's kind of like a trigger for them to just go, okay, wait, I did something that's off. And even if they want to be pissed and still fight through it, I've already planted the seed because you already know this is not who you are. So now yeah. you're fighting with, is this something that somebody gave me? Is this something that I actually believe? Where do I stand on this? And it gives us permission to say, okay, now let me tell you what happened. So-and-so said this, and this is probably how you took it. Now explain to me what was happening in the moment. And we, we teach them how to process through those things. So when they're an adult, they don't just take every rapid fire yeah. as this is gold. You know, I have to take what everybody tells me. If your boss tells you you're a piece of crap, it doesn't always have to mean you're a piece of crap. You might have just screwed up and he's pissed. And that's okay. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, even the value, um, even the value of understanding that just the way you saw the story isn't necessarily what might have happened. And it's that critical, constructive... What did you hear? Yeah, dialogue <laughs> that we learn as a family. And then when you go out and life does kick you, and life kicks you when you're down, and not only does it kick you, kick you when you're down, it puts its boot on your neck. You have a built-in level of resiliency that will just implore you to get up and to keep moving forward. That's one of the things that I value the most about our autistic kids is being able to use them as an example. Like when Kirsten loses it and the school will call and tell me or someone will call and say, hey, she's doing this, this, and this. Okay, what was happening when she started acting out? And it's, well, we were transitioning or we were taking this. Even with a babysitter, we've done it with Gracie. Okay, well, what happened before she bit you? What was going on? Those moments are the moments that help me when I'm teaching the kids what they're going through. It's like, okay, back up. There's a reason that she responded or reacted the way that she did. And when we have these conversations with the kids at the table, it's like, okay, there was a reason that you responded so quickly and you snapped. What did you hear? What was going on? What were you thinking about in the moment that this was happening? Because I can honestly relate and tell them, I, you know what, I was thinking about something totally different and you said something and I snapped and it wasn't your fault. My mind was somewhere else and I have to own that and apologize for it. But those are all the things that come about in these conversations of being able to just open the door and give them examples of, you know, hold on, take a step back. She don't think like you. There's a lot of those conversations in this house. Yeah, yeah, very true. Well, I think... I think we've done a, a good job kind of, you know, building the framework and showing some examples true to life. Yeah. You know, this is not something we read in a book. This is something that we've actually experienced as a family and, and truly believe just by the results that it's brought us closer. And I hope this encourages you. And just a quick segue into family legacy is where do you get your beef? Oh, Lord. What? 
That was a hell of a segue. <laughs> I know. I know. It feels it feels like a commercial, but it's no, kind of it not. No, it felt like a dirty comment. Where do you get your beef? Yeah, oh. That's not something you can say. Baby, <laughs> I know where you get your no, beef, no, baby. No, 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 um, no. Anyway. Oh, Lord. I'm sorry, listener. I'm here's sorry. something that <laughs> I can't... If you've been listening to this podcast for any number of episodes, it has come out that, you know, your boy Quincy the cute dog is a carnivore and that uh, I eat a meat-based diet. Now, if you're a vegan and that pisses you off, I'm sorry. I'm doing what is most bio-advantageous for my life and my health, and it's the lifestyle that I have chosen so that I can be around to help my wife um, grow, live, love, develop, etc. Anyway, I found out not too long ago that the beef that you buy that says a product of America— is eighty about eighty percent of that is from foreign countries and it comes into this country and because they process it in such a way they can say it's a product of America. Now why does that matter? It matters because since twenty fifteen, twenty thousand ranches a year in our country have gone out of business. And typically those ranches are family owned and family legacy. Now, maybe you don't live in America, um, and if you don't, I understand. And I'm not saying you should only buy American beef. What I'm saying is you should buy beef locally. Support the local ranchers within your area. Help them continue that family legacy. Buy that beef locally. Buy American beef if you're in America, and support these family ranches. I bought a side of beef, a half. I don't even know how to say it. A half a cow, a side of beef. Yeah, there's two sides to a cow. I bought a side of beef uh, from the Woody Ranch from Gloria and her family in uh, Kern, California. And they are a magnificent group of people. Um, And I am proud to say that that ranch has been in her family since 1862, and to me that, you know, Jeannie made the case when I was talking about this ranch situation, she made the case that that is family legacy. Yeah, and that is. is one of the reasons that I didn't know why I was so heavily committed to it until she brought that out. That is a family's legacy. You know, some families are police. Some families are firefighters. Some families um, are military some families like mine, they're all, you know, I have a long line of pastors in my family. Well, for these uh, wonderful people, they're ranchers. And they raise, you know, these cattle in a very humane way. And then they bring them from basically the farm to your table. And I just want to uh, encourage you. I really should have the website to go to. What a dope. I should have the website to go to to find local beef in your area. I got to figure that out. That's how I found Gloria and her family in the Woody Ranch. And uh, I encourage you to do the same. I'm just going to tell you, I paid full price for my cow. <laughs> I didn't ask for a discount because that wouldn't make much sense for me to say support no. support your local ranch. But please give me a discount. She did not even ask me to talk about her and her family and her ranch on the podcast. It's just one of those things. If I'm passionate about something, I'm going to talk about it. And I want to support these ranches. It pisses me off. Superhuman enhancement. Yeah. <laughs> it pisses me off that these families are going out of business. I'm all about free market capitalism. But we should be supporting those people locally to us and buying that beef, that American beef, or whatever country you're in, buying that local beef. So that is my heartfelt message. Um, if you're not doing that, I encourage you to do that. And uh, maybe you can not only buy your beef, but you can buy your vegetables from a local farmer's market, your fruits and vegetables. Maybe you can buy your eggs, your pork, your chicken from the same and do what you can to support uh, that local family legacy in your area. So go do that. If you don't, you don't want to know what I'm going to say to you. Just kidding. It's not possible for everybody, but uh, mm. if it is within your means, make it happen. Cool. All right, family dinners. Hey, it's actually funny. It's not funny. We're talking about dinners, and then I'm talking about beef. So it actually made sense to do that. Okay. You disagree? 
I said okay. I said, do you freaking disagree? I said okay. All right, that doesn't mean okay. I know, you know, I know you for a minute, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> okay, this is a good episode. I enjoyed hearing us talk about it. I think you enjoyed hearing us talk. I do. It's family therapy. Yeah, that's you true. You know what I'm saying? Having a podcast is definitely therapy. <laughs> it is. It's therapy. It helps us get these issues out on the table. And unless there's a big knock at the door and autism screaming, generally it's not edited. True. You feel me? All right. That is Jeannie Moran. I am Quincy Moran. Remember the emails, J-E-A-N-N-E, at MVSMpodcast.com. Quincy, Q-U-I-N-C-Y, at MVSMpodcast.com. This is Man Versus Marriage. The podcast. How good do you want your life to be? You gotta live on purpose for a purpose. It's truly about becoming the best version of yourself that's possible. This is Man Versus Marriage, the podcast.